This week, 100 years ago, a group of Kerry men were rounded up by their fellow countrymen, strapped together around a bomb and blown up. The Ballyseedy Massacre was one of the worst atrocities of the Irish Civil War. The eight men were anti-treaty IRA prisoners, plucked to be murdered in revenge for an attack on the army of the newly formed Free State the day before. Some of them were shown into a room in which there were a number of empty coffins and were told that these are coffins that have been set aside for you. A member of Michael Collins's former hit squad, National Army Officer Paddy O'Daly, covered up the crime and the Dáil record reflects his version of events. Except a ninth man survived the terror that night at Ballyseedy Cross. They tied us in, no hands behind our back, tied us in a circle in around the, around the mine. But uh, he said goodbye then and I said goodbye and the next fella picked it up and he said goodbye, goodbye lads, and up it went. It took until 1980 for Stephen Fuller to go public with his story. And yet, 43 years later, the truth still hasn't been put on the official record. I'm Aideen Finnegan and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today, I talked to Kerry historian Owen O'Shea and my Irish Times colleague Ronan McGreevy about why setting the record straight matters and how the state should commemorate these civil war atrocities. Owen O'Shea, historian and author of No Middle Path, The Civil War in Kerry. Ballyseedy is a truly infamous event that still hangs over the county. But for people not acquainted with the story, could you tell us what happened? Ballyseedy and the incident at Ballyseedy in March 23 is probably one of the very worst atrocities, if not the worst atrocities of the Civil War in the country and uh, certainly represents and is synonymous with the very darkest days of the Civil War in Kerry and indeed in Ireland. I should explain that Ballyseedy was a response and a direct uh, retaliation, if you like, to an incident that occurred 24 hours earlier in which uh, five Free State Army soldiers uh, were killed uh, in a place called Knockmagotchel in the northeast of the county. Three officers and two other ranks were killed and one volunteer seriously wounded as a result of mine explosion in Knocknagoshill this morning. Shocking injuries. They were killed by a, an IRA trip mine which had been placed uh, at a place called Baranarig Wood uh, and they were lured there to investigate what they believed was an IRA arms dump uh, but instead was, was essentially a booby trap that had been placed there by the IRA and uh, when they went to uh, clear the area uh, a trip mine was, was activated and detonated and it resulted in the death of five uh, soldiers uh, three of whom were natives of Kerry and two of whom were members of the, the Dublin Guard of the of the army and that actually was the highest uh, death toll uh, on the Free State Army side since uh, since the begin- beginning of the of the Civil War, uh, so the the reaction and response of the Kerry command of the Free State Army in Kerry was one of ruthless uh, vengeance and what Dermot Ferreter has described as a lust for revenge. Uh, Paddy O'Daly, the the head of the Kerry command of the army in Kerry, was was uh, was furious and had to be physically restrained when he heard of the deaths of five of his. Uh, soldiers and he ordered that henceforth that IRA prisoners who were in custody would be used to 
uh, go to the scene of any such alleged uh, arms dumps or to uh, clear obstructions from roads or barricades on roads, which were a common feature of the war. All officers and men in the command are notified that in the event of their encountering any obstacles, such as stone barricades and also dugouts or dumps, they are not to interfere with same. The officer or NCO in charge should immediately proceed to the nearest detention barracks and bring with him a sufficient number of irregular prisoners to remove same. The tragedy of Nagoshal must not be repeated. And in the early hours of the 7th of March, 24 hours after the events at Nagoshal, nine uh, Republican IRA prisoners were taken from uh, their prison cells at Ballymullen Barracks in Tralee. Uh, Before they were taken out of the prison, many of them were badly beaten and tortured uh, with hammers and other implements. Some of them were shown into a room in which there were a number of empty coffins and were told that these are coffins that have been set aside for you. Uh, They were taken to uh, a place called Ballycedy Cross, which was at that time on the main road between Tralee and Calordlan. When the prisoners were taken there, uh, they were shown a what was a barricade or a, a pile of rubble that had been placed on the road, which of course had been placed there by the Free State Army themselves, and they were ordered to clear the rubble and the debris from the road. Right, lads. This needs to be moved. But instead, of course, what occurred was uh, when, when they arrived, the prisoners were tied around the barricade or the, the obstruction on the road into which had been placed an explosive, uh, a bomb effectively, which had been placed in the barricade by the Free State Army themselves. Uh, The prisoners uh, were tied around the mine. They were tied together and tied to the mine so that they could not escape. Uh, They were told to say their prayers. It was obviously very clear to to the prisoners almost immediately the the fate that awaited them. Uh, The Free State Army stepped back from from the scene and... um, from a short distance away, detonated the explosives and blew eight of the prisoners uh, to their deaths. There are lies and legends, but two facts remain. Eight men died, and the ninth, Stephen Fuller, lived to tell the tale. Miraculously um, and incredibly, uh, one of the prisoners, Stephen Fuller, Uh, was blown from the site of the explosion into a nearby stream and managed to escape. But I got into the river and he went to the very deep. And I was deciding with myself whether I'd stay in the river and that I could keep down my head over the water under the bank and that they wouldn't see me if they were looking for me. Um, And, of course, with him he carried away the truth of what had actually happened at the... uh, at the the incident because of course the official line from the army and indeed from the government at the time and in the subsequent inquiry was that this was an obstruction and a barricade that had been placed there by the uh, IRA which was untrue uh, that the explosives had been placed in the in the barricade or in the bar- in the obstruction by the IRA themselves which of course was untrue and that um, the the Free State Army were were completely innocent of any misdemeanours or or ill-treatment of prisoners, which, of course, was also untrue. So Fuller, as I said, uh, managed to escape and got away to a nearby house and had sustained significant injuries, which which affected him for the remainder of his life. The doctor wouldn't be able to do anything with the hands, of course. All the hands were burned. All the the skin was burned off him. And the the gravel gravel was stuck in and in the flesh. 
But the fact that um, uh, prisoners had been removed from their cells in this way and treated in this way uh, by by the army, the, the Free State Army, um, had very significant consequences for the war. There were subsequent similar incidents uh, over the following week at a place called Countess Bridge near Killarney where um, four prisoners were killed in a similar fashion and a week later at a place called Bahaks near Cahar Savine in South Kerry where five prisoners were, were blown up. Uh, they were they were shot in the legs uh, before they were blown up to prevent any of them from, from escaping. Um, so as as I say, the, the events at Ballycedia 100 years ago do remain, um, for those reasons, synonymous with the very worst excesses of Free State Army brutality in the county and um, synonymous with the depths of depravity to which the war, the civil war in Kerry had descended by March 1923. Owen, could you maybe summarise the testimony that Stephen Fuller gave as to how gruesome and callous and brutal this killing was? Um, remarkably, it wasn't until 1980, many, many decades after the incident, that Stephen Fuller first gave a public interview about this um, episode. And he did so with Robert Key, who was a BBC journalist and uh, who produced a series for the BBC, A Television History of Ireland. He gave us a cigarette. And he said, that's the last cigarette delivered against Mark. He said, we're going to blow you up with your mind. It was the first time, and Fuller was in, into his 80s at this stage, it was the first time that Fuller had spoken publicly about the incident and recalled it and, and told the story with remarkable um, lucidity and, and, and detail. We were moved out into the yard and out, marched into a lorry and made life flat down in the lorry and taken out to Belly City. And uh, he describes in, in, in detail what the fate that befell the prisoners um, in Ballymullen Barracks and, and what occurred uh, at Ballycedy. And it's, it's a very powerful testimony which acts as, I suppose, um, if you juxtapose that against the, the official lines um, from Richard Mulcahy and the Doyle and from the government and the Doyle, um, it, it, it contradicts uh, very, very clearly uh, what the official line from the Free State Army and from, from what the government was at the time about, these, about this very tragic incident. Another fellow, one of our lads, asked to be left to say his prayers. They tied us thin, our hands behind our back, and left about a foot between the hands, like in the next fella. And they circled, they tied us in a circle in around the, around the mine. And they tied our legs then, and the knees as well, with a rope. The next fella to me said his prayers, and they said mine too. But uh, he said goodbye then, and I said goodbye, and the next fellow picked it up, and he said goodbye, goodbye, lads, and up it went. There was some really striking eyewitness testimony as well, talking about the devastation of the scene the following day, and that birds were, you know, eating human flesh from trees for weeks afterwards. It, it, you know, it's it's like something we'd hear from. <laughs> you maybe Ukraine now, you know, it's the, really the worst of what humans can do to each other. Indeed, uh, the newspaper reports at the time and indeed um, an account of these incidents, which was written by Dorothy McCardle uh, in the in the in the very well known book Tragedies of Kerry, which was published in 1924, uh, detail the extent of the horrendous in, uh, injuries which uh, these men sustained. And in fact, um, the uh, the remains of the deceased at Ballycedy were indiscriminately um, placed into coffins without any regard for ensuring that the, the, the correct remains was placed in the correct coffin, I could, if I could put it that way. And uh, 
many of the families afterwards when they went to retrieve the remains of their loved ones from uh, from the authorities at Ballymullen Barracks were um, uh, had great difficulty in identifying uh, the remains of their loved ones. Such was the extent of their injuries. And one, one of the mothers described how she was only able to identify her son by, by his black curly hair. Um, and uh, indeed, what what did much to compound the suffering of of um, of the relatives, and indeed, what what made Bally City, if you like, even more uh, even more dreadful, is the manner in which the army in in, in Tralee treated the remains, and when when the the coffins and the remains were being handed over to the to the, to the relatives at the gates of Ballymullen Barracks the following day. Uh, Paddy O'Daly, the the um, the commander of the army in Kerry, who um, was an incredibly ruthless and and um, a sadistic man, I would argue, uh, ordered the army band to play upbeat uh, jazz-type music at the gates of the barracks uh, while the remains of those who had died uh, was being handed over to to the uh, to the loved ones. So it My points God. to a sort of a visceral uh, a visceral hatred and a visceral um, almost psychopathic um, approach, I would argue. On the part of some in 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 the army in Kerry at this time, in their treatment of um, of the deceased, and and again that was further compounded by by the official in, uh, inquiry into these events, which absolved absolved the army of any wrongdoing, and again that suggested that the IRA had placed the 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 mine in the obstruction on the road at Ballycity, uh, which of course was untrue. That was further compounded by the fact that the Minister for Defence, Richard Mulcahy, uh, read the report of the inquiry into the record of the Doyle and suggested that it was inconceivable that any of his men uh, in Kerry would be capable of such atrocities. Um, so it would be wrong, I think, to suggest that um, O'Daly and the army in Kerry were operating in, in a vacuum or operating as some sort of rogues uh, of their own evolution. They were doing so with the imprimatur of the Minister for Defence and the government. And O'Daly was, in fact, a member of Michael Collins's squad, known as the Squad. So he was right at the heart of a very violent uh, campaign for many years. I'm sure he was a very hardened man by that. Yes. So O'Daly and others in the Kerry command, like David Nelligan and Ned Breslin, were certainly... Um, Battle-hardened men, if I could put it that way. Um, And I suppose we have to try and understand the mindset of the army in Kerry at the time. The the war in Kerry was continuing after the civil war had ended in most of the rest of the country. And there was an incredible degree of frustration uh, in army circles and in government circles about why was the war still continuing in Kerry. And O'Daly and others were sent to Kerry with a very specific mission and that was to, in their own words, crush the irregulars and bring the war to an end. Uh, These were that, still anti-Treaty yes. members of the IRA because the IRA was was obviously split into factions as well. Indeed, and what you have in Kerry by sort of the spring of 1923 is you have the Free State Army in control of the large towns and urban centres in the Kerry but the, the anti-Treaty IRA or the irregulars as they were, as they were described uh, were still in the ascendancy in many rural and remote parts of Kerry, uh, which was unfamiliar to many in the Free State Army. So you have a sort of a guerrilla warfare setting in at this time. Uh, but I think we have to understand, um, and this is not to justify the actions of, of the army by any means, but we have to understand the mindset in which 
uh, pressure was mounting politically and and from the civilian population indeed uh, to bring the to bring the conflict to an end. You know there was a war weary population who'd already been through a very traumatic and turbulent period during the War of Independence, uh, and and um, a desire I suppose for peace and a desire for the war to be brought to an end. Um, but the manner in which uh, O'Daly and his men uh, pursued the extrajudicial killing of prisoners. Um, was beyond any sort of norms of warfare um, and did more, I would argue, um, to leave a, a deep scar on the memory and on, on the county in Kerry for, for generations uh, than, than any other aspects of the, of the, of the conflict uh, itself. What happened to Stephen Fuller and Paddy O'Daly? Um, Paddy O'Daly went on to pursue um, a, a career in the, in the public service and was never held to account for any of... Um, any of his actions or that of his men in Kerry. Um, Stephen Fuller, on the other hand, um, lived for many years with the trauma of, of what had occurred. Um, he went on to become a Fianna Fáil TD representing Kerry in 1937 and was a TD for the county for six years. Uh, but for many years, he suffered dreadful psychological uh, problems as well as physical ill health and medical reports, which are available in the in the military pensions archives, uh, describe his suffering from a condition called neurasthenia, which... I suppose the modern equivalent of which would be post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, But remarkably, he never uh, spoke publicly until 1980, as I referenced a moment ago, about what had occurred. And and, uh, his own family described that even though he suffered in private, he never publicly, if you like, spoke about, about the trauma and the suffering that he endured. So there's a significant, I think, contrast between how those who prosecuted the war in Kerry if you like, went on to have what I might describe as normal normal lives after this. Uh, you know, people like David Nelligan and others who who uh, went on to become a senior figure in uh, in the Gardaí. After that, uh, you know, there's there's a, a significant disparity between how those on the on the anti-treaty side suffered in, in in silence in many respects afterwards, and how those who were never held to account for their actions in Kerry at the time went on to um, enjoy life, if you like, without ever having to having been held accountable for their for their actions. Coming up, Rona McGreevy on why a state apology matters and why there's been so little talk of the Civil War atrocities in this decade of centenaries. Ronan McGreevy, Irish Times journalist and author of Great Hatred, The Assassination of Field Marshal Sir Henry Wilson MP. Ronan, I wanted to ask you, the Dáil record doesn't show that the eight men murdered at Bally CD were killed unlawfully because the Minister for Defence at the time said, oh no, my men couldn't possibly commit such an atrocity like that. But now that we know what we know, why the resistance to correcting the record? It's a mystery to me, Aideen. Um In fact, Leo Faradkar was asked about that on primetime this week. He was asked if whether or not he would apologise for uh, Bally CD, and he said uh, that... I believe what happened at Bally was, was wrong. wrong. Um, it was it an, atrocity. an atrocity, and it should not have happened. Um, a state apology is a very particular thing, um, and there were many atrocities, sadly, in the Civil War uh, committed by both sides. Uh, and I don't think the right approach would be to have a state apology about one uh, of those atrocities. I think it's important that we see it in the round, uh, and I will have a chance to reflect on that and speak on that uh, in the context of the uh, decade of centenaries uh, and in relation to Civil War in particular. Okay, Thysia, I appreciate you taking your... But he said he was going to address the legacy of the Civil War in the coming weeks. Now... Uh, it's past time he did. 
um, the government has a lot to answer for in terms of the legacy of the civil war. Just to go back to the Bally CD point, there is no question now that uh, Paddy O'Daly was lying uh, when he stated that uh, these men were accidentally killed when they were clearing some roadblocks at Bally CD. They were tied to the mine and blown up. And we know that also not only from the testimony of the only survivor, but also from uh, the testimony of a Lieutenant Colonel Harrington, who was actually in the National Army and was the Deputy Head of Military Intelligence. And he said that the account that was given by Paddy O'Daly was factually incorrect. So yes, um, but but it, it, it goes back to the whole legacy of the Civil War and why it's not been addressed is quite alarming to me if you're interested in this sort of thing. The state executed 81 people, all men actually, during the Civil War. Four of them were executed without even the pretense of a trial. And they also carried out the atrocities at Ballycedy and at Countess Bridge. And these were done in our name, uh, in the name of the people of the state of Ireland. And you ask, well, you know, if tr- atrocities were carried out by both sides, why... Should the state need to apologise? Well, the same reason why David Cameron apologised for what happened at Bloody Sunday. People expect the state to uphold the very laws that it has brought into being. And this didn't happen during the Civil War. Okay, so would acknowledging it have political consequences now? Is that the reticence? No, I don't believe it would have at all. Um, This is why I find it a complete mystery as to why the government has not grasped this nettle, so to speak. Uh, This is the ideal time to do it, 100 years after the Civil War. Um, You know, Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil are in power power and have been since 2020. There are no issues between them anymore. And this is the right time to acknowledge uh, that wrongs were committed uh, during the Civil War. What would that look like to you, Ronan, acknowledging it? I think the best thing that that should be done is for uh, Leo Varadkar as the head of government and as the head of the party uh, whose uh, descendants coming to Yale were in government at the time to say things that the state did were wrong. And it would also be helpful if uh, Michal Martin also acknowledged uh, that um, a lot of the things that the anti-treaty side did was wrong as well. Um, But in first and foremost, I believe um, there should be uh, a state apology for what uh, for some of the actions carried out by the, the state in 1922 and 1923 and also that the Dáil record in relation to Bally CD should be corrected. I was very struck by a line from an article of yours in November and you mentioned it there a moment ago. In the five years between the Easter Rising and the end of the War of Independence in 1921, the British executed 40 Republicans. That's right. In the six months between November 22 and the end of the Civil War in May 23, the government executed 81. Yes. Why, why was this? Why were they killing their own people? The answer to that is quite simply, as W.T. Cosgrave, the the first Taoiseach, said, it's better that we kill 3,000 Republicans so that the 3 million people who live in this state can live. They believed that the only way to deal with the um, anti-treaty insurgency was to ruthlessly deal with it as quickly as possible and to um, execute as many people as possible in order to bring the war to a close. But I don't think that that is a valid reason for justifying the executions during the Civil War. It's interesting that, you know, the 
British government uh, executed 16 Easter Rising rebels. All of them have roads, railways, train stations named after them. Every single one of them has a book. Some of those who were executed by the British during the uh, War of Independence, uh, for instance, the Forgotten Ten, were given state funerals and reburied in Glasnevin Cemetery. And yet it's hard to name a single person uh, who was executed during the Civil War, with the exception perhaps of Erskine Childers. And you see, I suppose this kind of gets to what I'm I'm wondering about our commemorations. So to me, there seems to be a bit of a bland military commemoration of the 100 year anniversaries of various events like the Rising, like the War of Independence, and I suppose n- nothing of the Civil War, which is the thing we should really be delving into. And I mentioned it there that fellow countrymen could do this to each other, you know, families yeah. ripped apart. It's really hard to get your head around. So where is the conversation about how how this could happen to a nation, how people could be so ruthless to each other to, to say it would be better to kill 3,000 Republicans than, you know, we we need to make sure that never happens again. And, and we can't be complacent that something mad like that wouldn't happen again, because if the last few years have taught us anything, is that you never know what's around the corner and you never know what people are thinking. Well, I, I, I agree with you. Um, and I see, the, I think the government's approach to uh, the commemorations was very, very good until um, the RIC debacle. Today, there are divisions as to whether the RIC, linked to the Black and Tans and atrocities, should be commemorated. Uh, commemoration should be a celebration of a person or an event in history that, that obviously needs to be celebrated. Uh, this is something that certainly should not be celebrated. Um, I think there was a strong hand of the British government. At the After that, uh, they've resorted to keeping the commemorations as bland and as uh, anodyne as is humanly possible. But it's not working. I mean, you know... Those people who are interested in the Civil War commemorations can see through what's happened at the moment. The government is saying, well, listen, we gave money for Civil War conference in Cork. We gave money for us, uh, the, the beginning of the Irish State conference in December last year. They gave money to Kerry for the decadent centenaries. And they say, well, like, you know, we're doing things. But that's not the point. The point is that the public need to be engaged in this process, and they're not. Now, from my understanding... I think Leo Varadkar gets this. He did say that he would be reflecting on the Civil War before the end of the decade of centenaries. From what I have heard, there may be a commemoration in the Garden of Remembrance involving relatives on both sides, and that is the right way to do things. There was supposed to be one state event for uh, the Civil War, and that happened in September in the National Concert Hall, it was completely under the radar of the vast majority of people, um, including myself. I didn't even know about it till afterwards. So I think that, you know, the clock is ticking here. You know, the end of the Civil War was in May 1923. So we don't have, we have only two two months or so to, to put this right. So I'm hoping that it will be put right in that time frame. Rona McGreevy, thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. That's it for today. Thank you to Pat Butler for permission to use clips from his 1997 documentary, Bally CD. For all of Ronan's articles and full access to Irish Times journalism, subscribe now. Go to irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. This episode was produced by Suzanne Brennan and myself, Aideen Finnegan. In the news, we'll be back on Wednesday.